what an exciting day to be here and, and look at these amazing women we're here with celebrating such an amazing event. So wow, I'm, I'm really I'm just so excited for this. I think it's going to be a great presentation. And I know that I would have benefited from something like this when I was a junior lawyer when I was starting in the field. So Today's presentation will primarily be focused on women in the legal community with the speaker sharing their insights on the following. Having children, maternity leave, sole practitioners, females in the workplace, judges, mental health resources, and what do we do about it? And we will also have some time, uh, we'll also save some time for some Q&A at the end, um, taking audience questions. So please, if you haven't already, please feel free to send those in through the Q&A. So I feel very honored to have the opportunity to introduce, to introduce today's panel. Like I said, I'm very lucky to work with and learn from these three women every day. And I'm constantly inspired by them, not only professionally, but also as mothers and their work in our community. So I'm very excited to hear from you. And I hope everyone else is too. I'm going to start with Margie. Margie has been practicing family law since 2007. She is a collaborative family law practitioner and an accredited mediator who is passionate about facilitating fair and reasonable settlements for her clients. She also serves as a dispute resolution officer for the Superior Court of Justice in Newmarket and Toronto. Margie approaches law in a holistic manner and believes that as a family lawyer, she has a unique opportunity to provide emotionally intelligent advice to clients that will assist them in moving forward with their lives in a better position with the best interest of her clients and their children in mind. Kimberly is an associate lawyer at Russell Alexander Collaborative Family Lawyers, practicing in all areas of family law. Since her call to the bar in 2013, she has experience practicing in the areas of family law, criminal and civil law, as well as wills and estates. Kimberly now practice, practices exclusively in family law and her objective as a family lawyer is to achieve a resolution as efficiently as possible for her clients. And she strives to do this through negotiations and litigation when necessary. She prides herself on truly listening and understanding her clients and assuring they feel supported throughout the whole process of their family law matters. Next, we have Michelle, who is the Senior Managing Lawyer at Russell Alexander Collaborative Family Lawyers. She's been practicing family law for over 10 years and is skilled in all areas of family law, including divorce, custody and access, property division, child and spousal support, and family responsibility office enforcement matters. Her focus is on creating comprehensive, creative resolutions to family law matters, and Michelle excels at helping clients deal with complex financial issues that arise as a result of a separation. So now it is my pleasure to pass things over to our presenters. Thank you so much, Shannon. That was such a lovely introduction. Um, if you don't mind, let's launch our first poll, which is what brought you here today. We really love hearing um, a little bit about our audience, a little bit about your backgrounds. And the reason for that is we can help to tailor a little bit of this if we know um, we know a little bit more about you and we will try our best. It's, it's hard uh, in one hour to get all of this accomplished, but we're, we're going to do our absolute best. And I have to say, while we're waiting for the poll results, Kim, that's that's basically a glamour shot of you that, that we had up there. I loved it. I hadn't seen that picture before. It's really old. <laughs> no, My picture is old too, just saying, you know, I that was like five years ago and 20 pounds later. Anyway, ah. that's it. <laughs> we all need updated pictures maybe. You're all you're all beautiful. We actually were Shannon and I were talking about getting updated um, photos of the team because I, I loved her um, her advertisements for it, but it kind of looked like we were the people in that picture, just the way our names were. And I thought it would have been great if we had our an actual uh, picture of the three of us because we do get together, we do hang out, and we do enjoy each other's company. Okay, so let's see uh, the results of our poll, if you don't mind, Shannon. So. 71%, a woman in the legal profession. That is so lovely. I'm so excited. 29% uh, of us are celebrating International Women's Day. 8% um, of us are a woman in another profession and you want to hear about uh, the experiences of female lawyers. And I think a lot of this, you know, if it's even though we are talking today in a very specific uh, woman in the legal field, it really does apply to a lot of other fields. I have a very large family, a large friend group, um, 
And it's it's interesting to hear that across the board. I mean, maybe it's it's better to say it's sad to hear that across the board there have been a lot of uh, similar experiences. Um, also, a uh, a few of you are a leader of an organization and want to learn more. Kudos to you! Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Really appreciate it. Okay, so. Um, uh, a little bit of an intro. Again, happy International Women's Day. What an exciting day to be here. I am so grateful um, that, you know, this is the topic that we're talking about today. We always, oops, uh, wait for the poll. We always um, at our firm like to incorporate a little bit of gratitude into our meetings. And I think it's such a wonderful start to the meeting. It really sets a positive tone. So I'd like to share my gratitude. First of all, I'm grateful to Russ for trusting me to host this. Um, if you've been to any of the other seminars, you'll know that uh, this is his baby. He hosts all of them. But of course, for International Women's Day, he realized that having an all-female um, set of voices would really be the most powerful thing. So kudos to you, Russ. Um, secondly, I am so grateful to be a part of this panel you know, I can't say enough about how wonderful these women are. They are strong, they're independent, they're businesswomen, they are powerful. It is it is such a pleasure to work with this team. And I'm not just saying that, I truly enjoy, um, uh, you know, these three people in, in particular, but also our staff are just the best. And then lastly, grateful for all of you for joining us today and taking your time out. So um, Shannon, do you have the results of that poll? Thank you so much. 77% identify as a woman, 11% identify as a man, 2% identify as other. And then when we look at the breakdown, uh, a large majority of us are under five years. And um, I I'm so happy. I hope that this really helps, uh, especially that group, because I was saying, I wish I had something like this. I wish I had a female mentor when I was younger. Um, and then 11% of us have five to 10, and then 16% of us have 10 plus years. And then we have another, uh, a little over 10% who are um, either students or working in a different field. So thank you so much, everyone, for doing those polls. Okay, so having children. Um, I <laughs> I was laughing when I got chosen for this topic because of course uh, I, I understand why I was chosen for this topic. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I am actually a mom of four and all of my children were born while I was a lawyer. So I, um, I, I have a, I would like to say I'm an expert in this field <laughs> as much as, I, as anyone can be. And uh, you know, the decision to have children when to have children, how many children to have. It's something I have been thinking about for nine years. So my oldest child is 11. My youngest child is two. So it's been a really widespread of my career and, you know, in history, even though 10 years or 12 years doesn't seem like a lot of time, really so much has changed in that period of time. What do you ladies think? Do you, do you agree? Margie, I know you've been practicing even longer than I. Yeah, I, um, thankfully, you know, I, I've seen it uh, in, in my own practice. And also when I was, I was doing a little bit of research for this, for this uh, talk today. Um, it's, it's wonderful to see that there are more and more women entering the legal profession. Um, when I entered into it, I've been a lawyer. Uh, I was called to the bar in 2020, uh, 2002, 2022, anyway, let me talk about 2002. <laughs> Um, and there were, there were still a good number of women, but, uh, yeah, I think that, that what I've seen a huge shift in most recent years, especially because of the pandemic, I'm, I'm thinking it's because of the pandemic, um, is more of compassion towards working parents. Uh, what we had to go through during the pandemic of, uh, you know, we were really in at home with our children while we were working, Right. Uh, which is a whole new challenge. But I think because of that, there's been a shift in employers uh, really looking, seeing that there is a need for that, that balance. 
So what are your thoughts on that, Kim? Have you seen it? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think the pandemic forced everyone to shift and, and to have more of that work-life balance. And that might include your workday might have some family time in it. Um, you know, that, that nine to five wasn't applicable to everybody. I know it wasn't for me. Yeah, I think um, I I always joke about that video um, about the um, male. I forget what he was talking about. He was a scientist or something. And, you know, everyone knows it. He's doing an interview. I think it's with CNN. And then his kid comes in in the background and his poor wife comes in and tries to pull the kid out and another kid comes back. And, you know, it's it's so funny because um, I was joking that uh, that could that easily could have been me. It really could have through, through the um, through the pandemic because everyone was home and my husband is great and an involved uh, father, but it's just how power dynamics and, and household dynamics worked out. Uh, his basement, his, his office is in the basement, mine's on the top floor. So on top of working, I was also primarily responsible for the children because he didn't know, like he just didn't, from the basement, you can't hear. Um, so, so, uh, I, I empathize with that family and I empathize with everyone who had to go through that. It was really difficult. So anyways, getting back to the topic, another, uh, interesting piece of, uh, information about me is that our first child was a surprise. And so she wasn't planned. And if I had, if she wasn't a surprise, we would have probably waited a little longer to, to have a kid. But uh, the reason is, is that my husband, unfortunately, had cancer and um, had multiple surgeries, chemo. It happened so quickly. It was just a whirlwind. And by the time we kind of even thought about children, um, unfortunately, the effect of the cancer, the chemo, the surgeries had taken its toll. And we were told we would never have kids. Well, sorry, we had a 5% chance of ever having children, which is basically you're not going to have them. And so we got married, we, um, you know, said, it's fine, we're, we're okay. We talked about kind of options about what our lives would look like. And then two and a half months after our wedding, I got pregnant and I thought I had cancer <laughs> because I could feel something inside of me. And I thought, oh my God, you know, this is, of course, cancer was our world at the time and still is. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's cancer and this is bad. And I made the doctor do three different tests because I said, it's impossible. I, I know I haven't uh, cheated on my husband. I know he can't have kids and I cannot be pregnant. <laughs> this is completely, uh, this is completely impossible. So anyways, after the shock and the awe and the, the happiness wore off, the panic set in. And I think, um, from speaking to other women, that this is a little bit of a universal thing that a lot of women feel who are in stressful jobs because you start to feel a little bit guilty. You start to feel a little bit about, you know, how am I going to do this? What is my employer going to think? Um, you know, how is this going to affect my career? How is this going to affect my clients? You know, how, how, when should I tell people? What should I tell people? Uh, there were there's so many things that kind of go through your head and what should be a really amazing, wonderful, happy time of your life. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope that to to everyone out there, if you have a kid, don't feel that way. That's not the right way to feel. And if you are feeling that way and if your bosses are making you feel that way, um, there's a problem and, and we need to address that. Um, so to be completely fair, my principal was amazing. He, he, it was a male and he did not make me feel guilty, but I, I had this stress, this societal belief that having a baby was an imposition and taking time away from my work was an imposition. And, um, looking back, I really wish I had a strong female mentor to talk to me about these ideas and these preconceived notions and to help me through some of this because the stress was terrible. Trying to be a first year um, associate, by this time I was a first year, the long hours, um, the guilt, the trying to get everything accomplished before going on mat leave was incredibly stressful. And it's not good for you. It's not good for the baby. It's not good for anyone. And I learned that the hard way because uh, two and a half months before she was due, uh, my oldest came fast and furious. And um, 
I, I still remember that time where I was in the hospital, my water had broke, I'm at Mount Sinai, I'm in a high risk unit, and I have this team of specialists, like the, the best doctors around me. And they're telling me, okay, this is it, like you're gonna have to be in bed in a hospital until this baby comes. We're doing everything we can to keep her in because she's just too young. And I said to them, okay, that's great, but I have court tomorrow and I can't miss court. So I need you just to let me go for just for like four hours. I'll just go, I'll zip out to court, I'll explain the situation and I'll come back. And the look on their faces, the look on my husband's face was just disbelief and, you know, are you crazy? But it really, and looking back, I, you know, even, even I think that was such a crazy response, but um, it's just that, that guilt and that fear and that um, kind of pressure that's put on us. Margie and Kim, I know you both have had children. What were your experiences like when you had that first baby and that first transition and the first thought of how am I going to handle this? Um, I think I similar to you, Michelle, I think it, um, you always feel, is it a good time? Was this the right time? And I, I think the truth is there's never a good time uh, in your personal life, in your career, whether you're starting out, you feel the guilt of this isn't the right time. I'm just starting. Maybe you're at the peak of your career and you think, well, this isn't a good time. I'm really getting into it. Um, so I, I agree with you. There is this sense of um, you're, you're really, there's a lot of conflicting thoughts, I think. Yeah. Go ahead, Margie. Sorry. When, when I had my, with both children, um, I actually worked all the way up until like I was in labor. Um, I actually was on my way to the hospital and said, Hey, not going to the office. Guess what? Baby's coming. So yeah, I worked up until the end of, of, until I gave birth and I was on the phone on my way to the hospital, um, with, with clients. Um, and then once you have that baby, my first baby, uh, I just, uh, yeah, that it's an overwhelming, you know, uh, weight of guilt of like, uh, you know, I should be home with my, with my child, especially since if you're nursing, like I was, but I was fortunate at that time I was working in Boston, um, at a, a, a great firm, uh, male, my, my, uh, employers were male. And I, I spoke to them. I said, listen, I want to stay home for a good part of my daughter's life in Boston at the time, it's, it's, and you know, it's 12 weeks maternity leave in the US unpaid, but they said, no, we're going to pay you. You can work from home um, half the time for until she gets, she's uh, a year old. And I was able to work part-time at home and part-time at the office. And that was really about going to my employer and saying, you know, showing your value to them. You know, I, I'm a valuable part of your, of your firm. I can still, you know, be part of that, uh, a valuable part of your firm and still be a mom. And, but I think my experience was very unique in that regard, but yeah, I, I, I was fortunate and that's how I, I dealt with it. A lot of pre-planning months before, right? And that's great, Margie, but that also, you know, it's so funny because you had to go to your firm and, and, you know, take that step and say, Hey, I am really valuable. I'm a good team member. You know, you would be losing out if I were to take a year off. So let's come up with a plan. I mean, I, I hope and my, you know, my thought even for the direction of our firm is that women shouldn't have to be in that position. We should have maternity leave policies. We should have mm -hmm. things, you know, um, there's so much stress around that period already. Why make it more stressful for the woman to have to come to management to say, hey, this is what I want to do. Is it okay? Having a really fair for maternity leave policy just gets rid of that issue. Uh, and yeah, and it leads me uh, really nicely into your story about uh, being on the phone with clients all the way up into uh, giving birth. It leads really well into the next kind of topic, which is um, female lawyers having higher rates of complications during birth. I know that, and this is a bit more colloquially, I did come across one research out of the U, UC Davis School of Medicine, which is in the US. Um, but I know from my experience that a lot of female lawyers have a higher rate of miscarriage, uh, early delivery, a higher rate of babies in the NICU, and unfortunately, a higher rate of fetal fatalities. And so this study that uh, will be in the show notes afterwards if anyone's interested in it, uh, it's, it's a bit older, it's 1997, 
but it, it really confirmed a lot of the things that I know to be true from discussing uh, these issues with women. And it's that uh, women lawyers working more than 45 hours a week are more than three times more likely to experience a miscarriage in the first trimester than women who work less than 35 hours a week. And I can tell you of um, my very, very close friend group, there are four of us, three of us have had miscarriages, which is just insane to think about, right? Then the next thing that the study talked about were the long hours and high stress were most commonly associated with women who achieve partnership, partnership and associate uh, status, and those who specialize in criminal law and litigation, and who work between one and five years at their current job. I think all three of us fit into those, those yeah. <laughs> right now, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm guessing a lot of those, a lot of people uh, who are here fit into those categories or will fit into those categories when they have the first child. And then it also found that a lot of women are postponing their um, childbirth until their late, 80, late 30s, early 40s because of the current model of professional training, career development. It just does not accommodate a woman's role as childbearers. So, you know, such, such interesting things to think about. And, you know, if, if women weren't having babies, our society would crumble. We need to have children and we need to, to move forward. We need to be able to... Um, to grow our population. So it's a really important thing that you're doing. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about maternity leave, but before we go into that, let's do another poll, please, Shannon. And so this poll is, if you or someone you know took parental leave, how long did they take? So Kim, would you mind telling us if, if you, you feel comfortable sharing, did you take the um, maternity leave and how long did you take and why? So I did. So with uh, both of my kids, I took just about 14 months. Um, with my first, I was supposed to go back at 12 months, but the pandemic happened and they actually closed the daycare down. So I scrambled with last minute arrangements to try to extend. Um, and then with my second, same thing, I did take 14 months. So I, I'm lucky. That no, but it, lucky isn't it? 12 months, I is know. This, right? Again, it's, it's this perception that we are lucky to be able to take something that's uh, a legislated right yeah yeah Margie what about you I took uh three months with uh both children uh with the first one like I said I was able to work from home part of the time but just three months my second one just three months and I went right back to work yeah See, I feel guilty even hearing that <laughs> we don't why, why are you feeling guilty right again it's I know it's, you know, we have to get past this and we have to, as women, stand up for our rights. Um, and, and it's funny, I did kind of, I did a, a combination of you both. So I took three months for my first, but because she was a NICU baby, so she was in the NICU after she was born, um, I was a high, I was termed high risk. And unfortunately, I was put on medical leave for um, all the other babies thereafter. So I ended up taking a year for babies two and three, a little bit more, I think, just depending on where, you know, I went back. And then for baby number four, I took three months, but that was my choice. And uh, Margie, by that time, I had learned that I could go to at the time management and kind of talk about, you know, how it was going to look like and come up with a plan. So the three months, even though I came back after three months, I came back on, I only came back for four days for the rest of that year. And I'm still on, supposed to be on four days. I really work five, but <laughs> on paper, I'm working four days. Uh, so let's see those poll results. Thanks so much, Shannon. Okay. Yeah. 27%, three months and under, 20% uh, three to six months, 35% of us took six to 12 months and 31% took 12 months. Um, sorry, more than 12 months. So, so it's a good spread and I'm really happy. I, I know um, six to 12 months is the highest number there. I'm so happy to hear that. When I was kind of having my first and my second, it was just a given that you took three months. That's what you got. So, so kudos to us all. That's, that's so lovely. Um, Kim, would you mind talking a little bit to us about maternity leaves? Absolutely. So as uh, my colleagues would know, this topic's very real for me because I just came back from my second maternity leave in January. So a lot of the, the challenges are, are very present. Um, so, you know, the first thing is, okay, your parent to go on this maternity leave and 
how do you deal with the transition? And this is a hard thing. And I know um, the lawyers out there will, will understand this is your files become your baby. Um, and you know, you're invested and you feel this guilt about leaving your clients in the middle of their matter, especially family law files that go on um, for a long time. Um, there's that guilt. And so, you know, you're dealing with writing detailed memos uh, to other lawyers that are going to be taking over the file, uh, making sure that you explain everything. So the client's not left feeling that they have to start over because it's not their fault that you're going off, right? So you, you're, you're always thinking of that. How can I make sure that the client is not feeling the transition? Um, and then there's there's a, a bit of planning when you look at matters being scheduled far away. I remember having to think about timing and making sure that significant court attendances that were happening, that I was scheduling them well before I left or well enough after that a lawyer that was going to come in had time to to get get into the file. Um, and, and I remember, you know, when I was practicing criminal law, this came up because you're booking trials. And I remember being under three months pregnant, so I couldn't tell anyone I was pregnant, and scheduling trials and feeling this immense guilt that I wasn't going to be the lawyer that did this trial. Um, and, and so, you know, it's it's something that you have to think about. You can't, you can't not. So you're very conscious of, of the timing. Um, and then of course, uh, Michelle, similar to you, there's the unexpected. So with my second, I planned on working till 38 weeks. Um, he had other plans. I, uh, I had some complications. I was briefly unexpectedly hospitalized. And there was this, you know, we have to get you to this certain mark. It's, you need to go on modified bed rest. And so a transition that I thought was going to happen 10 weeks from now really got expedited. Uh, so you're, you're dealing with the stress of something really personal happening to you. Um, and, and then you're trying to also think about your clients at the, at the, at the back of your mind. So I, I feel like it really, uh, there was so much at play. There's so much about timing and really being, and thinking about everyone else's timing um, to make sure that things are, are taken care of. Um, and I think also this, this means on maternity leave, you're not also fully um, turned off because as a lawyer, especially if that file is still active, you might have the office contacting you asking, we can't find this, or, or do you know, um, you know, we need help. We need help with something. So you can't just say, I'm going to avoid taking any work calls for the entire maternity leave. So I think that that was really hard. I mean, do you, Mar Michelle and Margie, anything similar? <laughs> Uh, absolutely. So funny enough, on this last maternity leave, I have a file um, that I had been doing for two years before. And we had a trial date in May. So my baby was born September 29th. I was coming back to work January 1st. And I was um, supposed to do this trial in May. So plenty of time I could do it. Um, unfortunately, the judge had other plans. And at a settlement or a trial management conference, something like that, put us in a special sittings for November. So I had a one month old, maybe month and a half. Um, and I was assisting my poor counsel who was just, this was thrust upon, he had not expected uh, to be doing a trial as I hadn't been expecting for him to do this trial. And uh, we were doing it together. And, you know, I was on mat leave. I had a really tiny little baby and I was still, corresponding with the office, talking to the client, getting the lawyer up to speed, because, you know, I, I would have prepared him much better if I knew he was going to do the trial. Ultimately, we settled, but um, we settled the morning of trial. So we were ready. To what about you, Margie? Um, it's been so a while ago. My eldest is 18. So <laughs> um, my youngest is 13. Um but yeah, I, I think that uh, in terms of when I was when I had my youngest, I was a sole practitioner. Um, and uh, what I did was I planned ahead. I actually stopped taking new files after a certain month. And again, my my situation is unique. And I, I'm not saying that this is something that everyone can do. But I lived with my parents. My husband and I lived with my parents. We had that support. So financially, um, I made that decision so that it doesn't affect, you know, I could, I could do this and not worry about financially there. And I know we're going to get into it. I know there's uh you're going to get into this, but the, at the time I took the uh, law society's parental leave 
they did provide uh, financial support for, for school practitioners at that point. Um, and I, I took advantage of that. But I think the key here, what you mentioned, Michelle, is really having that support. And, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful. I know how fortunate I am that I had that support at that time. But I think, you know, if, if there's anything that anyone who's listening to this takes away from today is there is help out there. You, there is support. There are a lot of people who understand what you're going through um, and who are willing to help. So get that kind of support. Pre-plan is what I, I did. I pre-planned way ahead of time so I didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, files um, and clients um, being left to the wayside once I had my baby. Yeah, I mean, and pre-planning as, as best you can, um, uh, you know, life sometimes has uh, different plans. <laughs> um, and then there's, and you know, and then so you're dealing with that and then it's coming back from maternity leave, like I said, the current position I'm in and trying to get those new files. And that can be really stressful in, in private practice um, because otherwise you're normally working at sort of a, a file load. And, you know, one file might close, you have another one come in and it's sort of, you're always at, at a constant, but the situation for me was, you know, coming back to, to nothing. And so starting to build that practice again and that file load. And so there's financial implications of, of that as well. Um, so I think there's not a lot of times in your career that you start at a zero it's, it, it, because even if you go to another firm, you know, there's files you might bring with you. So it's really hard to, to come back in. And, and I felt, I felt very rusty. I, and I think I, I said that to, to some of you, I, I felt, I felt like a fish out of water for, for a little bit. And I probably still do sometimes, but I think that's probably a little bit more in my head than hopefully my colleagues see. 100%. I felt the same thing every single mat leave, whether I took three months or 12 months, every single time I felt like, you know, what am I doing? Imposter syndrome. And it's not, you, you obviously know, we have no concerns about your ability. We love you. Uh, <laughs> it, it is, it, it is just this pressure that you feel this guilt and it's overwhelming through getting pregnant to having a baby, to being on mat leave, to coming back from mat leave. Um, it's, it's really difficult. Yeah, and I mean, and that segues nice into the the stigmas uh, around taking maternity leaves. And I think I'd like I would hope that they have gotten better. And I love that the panel there's such a range here of of when everyone took maternity leave. Um, and I think sometimes we're the hardest on ourselves. So I think some some of these stigmas I I don't know, and I'm sure everyone can resonate. And I don't know if they're actually things that other people are thinking, but I know I remember thinking. People are going to think that I don't take myself seriously as a career professional, that I'm not driven, that feeling of feeling out of touch, um, feeling that you might miss out on opportunities, promotions, or being overlooked because of that time you, you took off. So the mommy penalty, so to speak, feeling disconnected from colleagues or clients, especially, you know, if you're taking a year off, um, people, life goes on for everybody else. And sometimes on maternity leave, you feel your life stayed still. And so coming back and people have, have forged relationships and, and things have moved on. Um, and I also remember feeling when I was going on maternity leave, almost like, am I being phased out? Is there, I'm, I might not be getting inv invites to things. Um, I might not be getting new files as I'm leading into um, the, towards the end of, of maternity leave because, well, she's going off anyways. Uh, people thinking that you're not reliable because you're pregnant. Well, she might have the baby any second or, you know, the way she's caring, she looks like she's going to go. Um, so I, I think there's there's all sorts of this. And and I think it definitely something that played into me a lot was was these uh, these stigmas. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys have felt the same way. Oh, and wow. I think. <laughs> no, go ahead, Michelle. I was going to say, absolutely. It, it's, you know, um, it, it's so funny. We think that we're all having these individual thoughts and we, you know, I'm the imposter. I'm the only one. And it's so refreshing to hear that um, it, it's just a thing that everyone goes through. And, and we, unfortunately, unfortunately, and we need to realize that, yes, it's something we're going to go through and it is not you. It's never you. It's, it's the fear, the guilt, the blame, yeah. the blame, you know. And I think I, I 
sort of tried to reframe it for myself. And I said, okay, really, I mean, the legal career, the profession I'm in, I'm going to be in it for a number of years. And so in the grand scheme of things, I really thought, okay, say this is a 40-year career. Two years off, you know, two and a half years, three years, it's really just a blip in that career. And so I think just reframing at, at, at how much time, it's it's really not that long. You blink and it's done. Um, you look back on it. And I'm sure if you talk to females in the profession close to retirement that did take that maternity leave, um, I'm sure it's, it's something so in the past that they don't even look at it impacting their career. I think for some of us that are in it now, and I know for me coming back, I feel like it does, but I'm sure I'm not going to think about it then. Um, and, and, and Michelle, you touched on uh, maternity leave policies. And so this is something, um, talking to, to other women in the profession. And I know with my experiences, many firms don't actually have a policy in place other than what the law requires. Um, and I think it becomes very, um, uncomfortable if you're interviewing for positions to ask what are the policies, because you, you fear this is going to reduce your chances of getting that job. So I think there's this awkward, um, the policies are, are like I said, it's just law related and then people being uncomfortable. Um, I know uh, the Law Society of Ontario does have the parental leave policy to assist. So, you know, you can get your 25% reduction in your fee category for fees. Um, you may be exempt from CPD requirements um, if you don't practice or provide legal services and they would prorate it if it's not a full calendar year. Um, and then you can be exempt from law pro premium and, and levies that way. And, and Michelle and Marge, I'd be curious, I mean, any of the firms you worked with previously, were there any other policies other, other than what? Not for me. I think maybe Margie, that, oh, because you, you had created that one yourself, that first one. Yeah, I, I, you know, once I found out I was pregnant and you could tell people after three months, that's when I said, this is what's going to, like, this is my plan. And, um, I think, you know, if you, it helps your employer to know that you've thought ahead and this, you've got a plan. So, but they didn't have any, any uh, maternity leave policy in place. But um, then my second one, I was a sole practitioner, which is a bit different. Um, and I, I, I sort of, you know, um, I guess is a good segue to the sole practitioners and the impact on them. Um, for me personally, again, I, I have a different situation. I had a different situation with my second child when I was a sole practitioner because I, I made a decision with my then husband to move into the parents so that we don't have that financial strain. Because for me, I, I did not want to miss out on, on that part. And I'm not saying this is for, every, for everybody. I wanted to be able to, because children, the childhood goes by so quickly. And I didn't want to have to look back with regret. I do have regrets later on in my life in terms of how much time I spent with my, with my children. But when they were babies, I wanted to like soak it all in. So I sacrificed a lot in terms of my, my financial. And I know that um, you're going to talk about this as well, Kimberly, like sole practitioners and an impact on them. Yeah. I think um, it's a huge financial impact, yeah. right? Yeah. And so um, uh, so both my maternity leaves, uh, I was considered self-employment. Uh, and I think there's there's a lot to think about because even in terms of transitioning files we talked about, when you're a sole practitioner, you don't have that roster of lawyers that you can lean on. So you're really having to think about who's who's gonna get my files. Uh, do I know people that can take this on? And then again, uh, the financial implications when you come back, uh, starting at the caseload of zero. But not only that, you're responsible for bringing in those files, which is very daunting. That's that's a lot of hats that you're wearing on top of balancing uh, motherhood. And so I think um, the reality is a lot of women in the profession that are self-employed um, don't actually take a full maternity leave with zero files. Um, I hear a lot of women in the profession who just reduced their practice. Um, and so you're still sort of in the game in that way. Financially, you're not feeling the effects of zero. Um, but I know this can also have implications on EI because you need to have to factor in how much you can make before EI is going to claw back. Um, so I think as a sole practitioner, you're always having to think of the financial ramifications because it's not just client retention. It's also in terms of if you have office space um, and, you know, do you have to sublet now? 
Do you just let your office sit vacant? You have rent to pay. What if you have that really great law clerk? Um, how do you how do you retain them? Do you have to pay them a salary or say sorry? I'm 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 going to lose you. So I think that there's a lot of things to think about with being um, a sole practitioner. Um, and I think also, you know, dealing with emergencies that might come up. Um, how do you if, when you have young kids and you're a sole practitioner? Um, who's going to do that coverage? Again, you don't have that that. Uh, large roster. So for me, I know personally, I always say um, it, it would impact my decision to have more kids. Absolutely. I, and I agree with everything you say, you know, the financial ramifications, even talking about uh, the law society, did you say it was only a 25% reduction when you're a mat leave? Like, yeah. Just about that. You're not working whatsoever. And it's, you know, when you're not working, when you're an EI, some maybe you're not even getting anything. The fact yeah another thousand dollars you know plus 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 that you're paying for you know the privilege of being a lawyer I think is it's difficult to swallow yeah. why are you paying for being off so yeah uh, thanks so much Kimberly I think that uh leads really well into Margie's topic which is uh statistics around women staying in traditional jobs and female lawyers in the workplace okay so um statistics around female lawyers. Um, the Law Society did an annual, in their 2020 annual report, they indicated that the percentages of males compared to females practicing in Ontario. And again, I, I have to apologize. Um, you know, it, uh, the, the, the statistics are just for male and female. Um, not really, I think there's a, a need for more statistics, more research on how, you know, the LGBTQ community or, or people who are identify as as a one gender or, or, or another gender that they're not born with. Um, but this, the, the LSO uh, report says that there's about roughly 56% of, uh, of Ontario lawyers are male and 44% of practicing lawyers are female. And so despite the apparent, it's like a roughly balanced or increased uh, increasing parity of women versus men uh, practicing a lot, uh, 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 the law in Ontario, there still remains a disparity, okay? And that's where uh, there's there's a greater retention of men over the years and more, more women than men leave the profession. I think our discussion this morning kind of points to one of the reasons, one of the main reasons. Um, there's few uh, women in, in senior leadership or partnership positions versus men. Uh, women in Ontario make up only about 27% of law firm partners in 2021, as opposed to 73% of uh partners being male. Um, and if you break down those statistics even further, women of color are severely underrepresented in the legal field. Um, approximately 28% of lawyers in Ontario are people of color and most of whom are women. Okay, so um, there's also further disparity in terms of income. So 2020 study of in-house uh, lawyers in Canada found that women earned approximately $24,000 less than their male counterparts. And the higher the income, earned by the male lawyers, the greater the gap. So 42% of male in-house counsel earned an average salary of 200,000 compared to only 19% of female in-house counsel who earned that same level of income. So this disparity in the retention um, and career growth uh, between men and uh, male and female lawyers is reflective of the problems we have in, in our industry in terms of practice, right, in industry practice. Uh, female lawyers at times face discrimination, how they're treated by their colleagues and opposing counsel, even though it's not spoken about, right? Um, at the same time, the exodus of uh, women from the legal profession is also probably an indicator of a wider societal pattern um, where women are more responsible, carry more of the, the heavier load of childcare and domestic duties, like, we, like we've mentioned. And, um, you know, women are also less likely to have Female lawyers are more likely, less likely to have a stay-at-home spouse to help support them in their full-time work. So those are the statistics when it comes to female lawyers in the workplace. Thanks so much, Margie. And even though those are statistics, I I completely agree with them. When I started law school, the at least in my law school, and I believe throughout, it was more than fifty percent of. Uh, the 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 class was women and as i'm going later and later in my career especially in these you know 
childbearing years. I'm finding that unfortunately, a lot of my female colleagues are looking to alternative um, careers because it is so difficult. It is so difficult between the prejudices, the caring of babies, the emotional and, and um, uh, workload of having to take on more, the pay uh, imbalances. It, it's just so difficult. So I, I fully, you know, I can absolutely see those happen. And I think also in terms of uh, what Margie touched upon is, is if you don't have a lot of those, the supports in place, like I know for, for me personally, we don't. And so I find it, it's a very challenging career to balance um, if you have children and you don't have supports in place. Absolutely. So before, sorry, before we go, I know I'm being mindful of time. Before we go to judges, I also wanted to touch upon, um, you know, female lawyers, like myself, who are in the, you know, um, who not only have to care for children, and yes, my children are a bit older, but they still need you. Believe me, they still need you. I still get that knock on my office door, uh, help with homework. But the, the female lawyers really, or even lawyers in general in that sandwich generation, where now we have to also take care of our elderly parents. My parents are in their mid 80s. And, you know, as years go by, my mom had a stroke about five years ago. Um, thankfully I have four, uh, three siblings, you know, and we, we all sort of share the burden of not burden, the duty of helping our parents with, you know, shoveling the snow, like the, the recent snowfall there that we had, you know, making sure they had enough groceries during the pandemic. Um, but, you know, I just want to put it out there that as, as most of these responsibilities for elderly parents usually fall on female lawyers as well. Right, because we are the caregivers, um, not just of our children, but our elderly parents. So, you know, that also impacts you, even though you're a more, you know, now you're now you're you're done with the, the earlier years, the maternity leaves, the early the, the child care of younger children, then you're moving in towards your career, you're really into the your career now, you're you have more experience, you still have the um the uh the uh, imposter syndrome, still do always will. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that as women in that sort of time in their career, now you have to face the additional responsibility of caring for your elderly parents, which has a whole different, um, you know, slew of set of responsibilities. So I just wanted to put it out there, not to let you know that it never ends, <laughs> not to say that, but, you know, there, it's, it's, it also impacts you as a female lawyer being the, the one that's primarily responsible for caring for your, not just for your children, but your elderly parents. Uh, absolutely. And you're so right with the um, sh snow shoveling and just things like technology. And I'm always trying to educate my parents on scams, my poor parents, they're so sweet, but they've gotten caught nothing high level, but in some low level scams as well, which it's tough. You're, you're juggling so much at the same time. You're juggling work and children and life and your responsibilities with parents and you know it's it's absolutely insane but i do want to come back thanks so much for that margie i do want to come back to uh young children because kim i think i'm sorry we we kind of skipped your part of that no no that's okay that's okay i mean i know we're, we're we all have so much to say about this topic and there's we i think we could go on forever about it but i, I mean I'll, yeah i as I, I'm in that too right now right i have a three and a half year old and a 15 month old and so it's hard. It is like last night, my, my oldest son was up four times and you're, you're still expected to come and work and, and get stuff done. And I, I, and that's really hard. And then on top of that, like I said, it's just my husband and I, we don't have that support system. So dealing with sick days, like I remember during the pandemic, uh, when daycares were so stringent on, um, you know, heaven forbid a kid have a regular cold. And so every sniffle, they were home for three to five days because they had to get tested. And I remember I calculated in my first eight months back, I took 40 days just to deal with sickness for one child. And that, again, as a sole practitioner, that was very hard hitting for me. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, so it's really, really difficult to, to juggle that. So I'm not surprised, uh, hearing Margie's statistics on the exodus of, uh, females in the workplace. Um, I think that, that, that it's a lot to balance and you have this idea of default parenting that's happening, right? Uh, women often do, uh, become default parents. And so 
motherhood's hard enough, but we're juggling, you know, the gatekeepers of the home and the children's activities and, and doctor's appointments. And I think it leads into this internal argument with, with spouses about whose job's most, more important, um, right? Who's the one that should be taking the time off? And I know I feel like if I say my job's more important, does that mean I love my children less? Um, so I think it's a struggle. And I think this 40 hour work week was really designed um, that there was someone at home full time doing some pa parenting and cooking and cleaning. It wasn't meant for this two, two person working household. Um, and so I think that's, that's something that that's, that's really hard. And, and I'm going to say, I, I heard something the other day and it, I really resonated with it. And it said, there's a societal expectation that you must work like you have no children and mother like you have no job. And I felt that really, really hit home for me. Absolutely, what a great quote, you're right. Absolutely with all of those things. Um, I think uh, giving our time, let's uh, move on to judges. And, and you're right, we can talk about this for another hour. <laughs> I have so much to say about this, but uh, we, we do wanna be mindful of everyone's lunch hour. Thanks Margie. Uh, okay, so judges, good news. Um, Statistically, there's an increasing, again, parity between the number of male judges being appointed versus appointments of female judges. In fact, the last couple of years, the federal government appointed more females, uh, women to the bench um, than men. Um, in an updated uh, uh, data first released in January 2022, uh, the proportion of women who were federally appointed judges in Canada increased from 43.8% as of October 1st, 2021 to 45.3%. Um, comparatively, the proportion of men who were federally appointed judges decreased from 56% to 54.7% over the same period. Um, I was mentioning to, to Kimberly and, and Shannon, um, and you know, early on uh, when we were doing that before this webinar, that I was, for this, for this uh, webinar, I, I was doing some research about judges, uh, female judges. And I came across an article, and I'm gonna give the link to, so that we could give it to the audience later on, but an article by Her Honorable Justice Bertha Wilson, the first female judge of the Supreme Court of Canada. She wrote an article for the Osgoode Hall Law Journal in the fall of 1990. Um, and the article is entitled, Will Women Judges Really Make a Difference? And it's it's notable to, you know, that at that time when she wrote that article, only 9% of federally appointed judges were women. So essentially her, her honor's response to that question was yes, because although judges are supposed to be neutral and impartial, they're also human and they bring to their roles and their decisions perspectives born out of their personal experiences and female judges can help temper and direct or influence the law into a more, as she said, fully human way. Because at that time, most decisions were made by men, right? So I, I thought that article is very interesting and um, and it's, a, it's good news that there are more uh, women being appointed to the bench. And I think that's a good trend. Um, that's all I have to say about that, that topic. <laughs> Thanks so much, Margie. All right. Um, moving on to poll for mental health. Um, in your opinion, what are the leading causes of stress for women in the profession? And, um, you know, uh, Margie, are you going to talk about mental health for this? Yes. Why don't, if you don't mind, why don't you start your talk while we run the poll? Okay, as we know, um, being a lawyer, being a family lawyer is, is, is very stressful. Um, that goes without saying. Um, in fact, you know, the statistics show that as, as lawyers in general, not just family lawyers, um, we have as a profession twice the number of, of people who are depressed compared to the general public. Um, we deal with, all, and as family lawyers, we deal with a lot of, you know, the personal aspects of our clients' lives. We, I don't know about you two, but I, I, I know actually about you two. You guys are, are very compassionate and empathetic lawyers. And as family lawyers, that's what, that's what attracts us to this profession, our empathy, right? Um, and we sometimes take on the trauma of our clients. Um, so there's a lot going on for family lawyers. And I, I actually found um, there's a lot of resources available. Um, you know, there's a, the member assistance program through the Law Society. Um, they, there's Homewood um, uh, provides a service for, for lawyers who need that sort of support. Um, we have a lot of uh, links we could provide to the, to the audience, but I also found a link called 
www.lawyerswithdepression.com. And it's, you know, it's written for lawyers with depression by lawyers with depression. So I thought that was interesting. There's different articles um, there that I, I commend to, to people in the audience. It, the, the key here again is, I think a lot of people go through that as, as family lawyers, we, we go through um, a lot of struggles. It's important to really surround yourself with friends. I have a great group of family lawyer friends that we just commiserate about, you know, uh, what it's like to be a family lawyer, because I don't think anyone knows what it feels like to be a family lawyer, except another family law lawyer. So I, you know, really um, establish a group of friends, a, a, a support network of people who can understand where you're coming from and utilize the resources available to you through the law society. Um, and, you know, at our firms, it, we also, our firm cultures, uh, it's one of the best. Um, we also have resources available to, to people in our, at our firm. So I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of resources available to you and, and we'll, we'll provide that in, in our link um, after, after this uh, webinar. Thank you so much, Margie. Shannon, would you mind showing us the results? Wow. And that's it, right? There is no one, I think what this shows is that there is no one leading cause of stress. I really think if if we can summarize today, it's this whole um, myriad, a web of different stresses that really kind of pile on one another to, to make you feel like you are in this alone, but you are not, you are absolutely not. And um, I had kids first in my friend group, but I was very lucky for my third child. It just so happened that the four friends or the four best friends, we were all off on the same year. And it was such an uplifting, amazing year. So if you can surround yourself with people who feel like sunshine, it's such a great quote. And uh, people who are going to help you get through that and understand and empathize um, with those. So, what do we what are we going to do about this? What do we need to do as a professional? And I really take this seriously because part of my role as a managing lawyer is how do I make the firm better? How do I make the firm better for everyone we have and also for new talent for people we want to attract? And so this has really been, um, it's funny, I have a whole eight hour meeting about this on Monday. This has really been my focus is we need to, to do a lot more. So as female lawyers and, and more senior female lawyers, I think we need to be more vocal. So attending these seminars, having these seminars, having these discussions out in the open is so important. Uh, we need to have plans. Women shouldn't be expected to come up and ask for what they want. There should be policies in place. And Kim, I actually wrote this down as you were talking. It's a great talking point for my Monday meeting is we should be providing our maternity leave policy to new hires even before um, you know, they do their job interview because we want to make sure this fits for both. We, we don't want anyone to be unhappy here. We want everyone to be happy and to feel like they're really supporting. Yeah. Um, uh, we need more women in managing roles. We need um, uh, more female mentors. And my virtual door is always open. If anyone wants to call, email me, Shannon will send out the package with all of this information. Please feel free because, you know, I, I have some information about this that, you know, I can help walk you through your particular situation. Um, and there's a really great CB, Canadian Bar Association, sorry, article entitled Law's Sticky Floor Problem. Women lawyers having smashed through the glass ceiling are still facing barriers to success early in their careers. Great read. I really suggest that um, you, if you have a minute, you read it. And just to summarize, I know I'm preaching to the choir. The fact that each and every one of you took the time to be here, to, out of your day to attend the seminar really shows that you've already started thinking about these issues. So kudos to you. Um, thank you so much for attending today. Shannon, over to you. Thank you so much, you, Kimberly, Margie, and Michelle. It was so nice to hear from all of you. Thank you for sharing your insights and your stories. Um, I, I, I've said it before, but I'm so in awe of how you, you balance it all. Um, so thank you for sharing. Um, we also, as Michelle said, want to thank all of the audience. Um, I know we're running a bit short on time, but just one question that we had from the audience. Um, I know it's a big question, um, but uh, for a young lawyer starting out, um, is there any advice you'd give to them or anything that you would say you would do differently in your career? 
Um, for me, my advice would be to get a mentor. There's so much. There's just so much. And it's different. You know, I think we, we talked about that as well. It's different through each stage. The before three months, finding out, you know, when do you tell people? What do you tell people? How do you tell people? The three months to giving birth, the on maternity leave, the when you come back from maternity leave, it's a multifaceted problem, unfortunately. Thank you. Um, anything else from our panel or? Just... All I could, all I want to say for a young lawyer is that if you decide to have children, enjoy it. Because I'm at the other end of this spectrum. Like, like I said, my eldest is 18, going off to university. God help me. <laughs> but, you know, I, I look back and I said, one of my regrets is not spending enough time with them. Um, you can't get that time back. And like Kimberly said, you know, in a 40-year career, that sliver of time I got back on my feet. I went from zero to, to 50, zero to 100. If I can do it, anybody can do it. But it's, it's you know, take that time. If you have that child, take that time because it, the time is so fleeting. That's all I could say. Thank you, Margie. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us and happy International Women's Day. Thanks, everyone.